be here. Um, of course, Jordan's family, they're going through quite a bit right now. I think uh, his dad's surgery is scheduled for tomorrow, right, Wendy? And uh, so Jordan called me and said, Phil, can you fill in for me today? I go, yes, absolutely. Anytime I can be with my kiddos, I mean, I'm going to do that. And so it's a good opportunity to be here and, uh, and to share. In fact, I also had, of course, the Sunday open um, as I am employed by Great Lakes Christian College, and this church family supports the college, and so it's just a great opportunity uh, to come and just uh, not only represent uh, Christ, but also Great Lakes Christian College. And uh, because I am here as a representative of Great Lakes Christian College, I always have to say something. You know, that's part of, that's part of my responsibility, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of an update. In fact, this this weekend, we celebrated our 70th anniversary at the college. So on Friday night, we had a big celebration. Yesterday morning, had a celebration with alumni. And um, all uh, great, worked out wonderfully. We started in 1949 uh, back in a little log cabin in Vestaburg, Michigan at Rock Lake Christian Assembly. There were eight students that started, and eventually by the end of the year, there were 12, and they were meeting in a little log cabin. And it was just, uh, our celebration took us all the way back to that place, to where we're at today, with 160 students, and continuing to teach the Word of God, and ministry opportunities, and so we uh, continue in that, and we appreciate your support, and the encouragement you give us by uh, not only the financial support, but I know that uh, you support us through prayer, which is very important, and um, of course you have one of our alumni as your preacher, so that's always a, a, a key connection uh, that we have together, of course. Uh, so um, thank you for supporting the college and being a part of that. And I'm glad that uh, I can fill in today to help out Jordan um, uh, and, and what they're going through. Uh, keep them in your prayers, if you would. I appreciate that. Uh, today is also, uh, the college has set aside this day as uh, the Restoration Appreciation Sunday. Now, what we did this past week leading up to our 70th anniversary was an emphasis on the restoration movement. And if you're not familiar with that, the restoration movement is really the movement that this church is a part of. That's your roots. And you're saying, well, I didn't know that. Well, not a whole lot of people do. And that's why we use it as a, uh, an emphasis every year for our students because we want to emphasize um, the historical background of the Christian church and churches of Christ. So we have a week of uh, speakers on the Restoration Movement leading up to that Sunday after, which is today, the Restoration Appreciation Sunday. So this is as well another good reason uh, to participate with you today being a church um, uh, in, that, in that type of heritage and the Restoration Movement. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate my heritage. Um, my dad um, was a preacher. I was a preacher's kid, of course. 
Uh, my dad died four years ago, and uh, I've had since then opportunity to go through some of his sermons. Now, my dad kept sermons like I keep sermons, in piles, okay? And he had uh, over 1,500 sermons being in ministry for 60 years. In fact, I, I think that's low, 1,500. That's probably more 2,000 or so. I, I can't tell yet because i got all these piles i got to go through. But I had opportunity to go through those piles and uh, a few of those piles just to look for some sermons that he preached way back in, in, in earlier in his ministry. Uh, last Sunday, I was at the church in Algonac, Michigan, on the east side of the state on the St. Clair River, south of Port Huron. And that's where I grew up. That's where I grew up for 11 years, graduated from high school, Algonac High. And that's where my dad was uh, in earlier in his ministry. And uh, they had their anniversary service, their 71st anniversary at the Algonac Church of Christ and invited me and my mom to go and celebrate with them at this anniversary. Well, I thought to myself, you know, I've got a great heritage, especially when you're talking about anniversaries and things like that. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to look for one of my dad's sermons that he preached back in 1962, 63, 64, up to 73. And sure enough, I found three or four of those sermons. And then I thought, okay, what am I going to do with these things? Well, I ended up preaching one last Sunday uh, at the Algonac Church of Christ. So I had one of my dad's sermons on February the 16th, 1963, that he preached at the Algonac Church of Christ. Now, when we talk about heritage, that was cool. I mean, here's a place where my dad preached and I'm preaching on this anniversary Sunday one of my dad's sermons. And uh, that, that was neat. Now, we all have our individual heritages, our family trees and things of that nature. And, and we're proud of them. Unless you have some horse thieves or something like that in your background. Uh, you're you're, you're going to be proud of your heritage. Well, I think it's important for us to be proud of our heritage as the Christian Church, Church of Christ. And uh, so I, I want to, to, to kind of open this musty uh, book of history just for a moment and to help us understand where we come from as a church family. All right? Now, I don't like history. How many of you like history? Let me just see a raise. Oh, some of you do. That's great. I don't like history. All right? I know just enough to make me dangerous today. And uh, so I want to very simply give us a history lesson. And if you have your uh, bulletins, get them out. Get a, get a piece of paper. Uh, get a pencil or a pen or, or whatever. And in just a few moments, I'm going to give you four uh, phrases that are a part of the restoration movement that I think are important for us even today, all right? So get that ready. Now, very simply, we're talking about the restoration movement, the heritage and the roots of this particular uh, church family and fellowship, the Christian Church, Church of Christ. And very simply, our roots stem from what is called this movement, 
It's not the Reformation movement, which was something a while back as well, to reform um, the Catholic Church and, and to bring about unity in that way. But this is the Restoration Movement. And there was a, a teacher at the Cincinnati Bible Seminary, one of our colleges that wrote for the Christian Standard in 1984. And I think you get this publication, the Christian Standard. But in 1984, he concludes this about the Restoration Movement. An interesting quote, he says, To keep a movement alive and well, one must understand the heart of the past, must breathe the air of the present, and exercise a vision that anticipates the future. So the past and the present and the future are all important in order to keep a movement alive. Now the seedbed which sprouted forth the restoration movement was, was full of skepticism. And the believers uh, of Christ were divided. Uh, denominationalism separated Christians and there was this rigid test of fellowship uh, that came about because of different creeds that, that popped up. And so there was some jealousy and competition that raged among all of these different church groups. And the restoration movement, it, it confronted the divisive barriers and it pled for a unity based upon the teachings of the New Testament. And that's the simple, simple idea of the whole restoration movement. It's not your opinion or somebody else's opinion or somebody else's tradition or somebody else's teaching. It's what the Bible says. And it's around the Bible and what the Bible teaches that we are unified in. Not what I'm going to teach you as, as a preacher or, or as an elder or whatever, but it's what the Bible is going to teach us. So, so the Restoration Movement confronted all of this divisive um, confrontation that was going on among church groups, and it was saying, okay, let's just base our unity on the Bible. Now, there were a number of men at the beginning of the 19th century within several uh, different denominations that began efforts to restore the church as revealed in the New Testament. So out of these div divisive groups came men who said, you know, th there's got to be something different here because this isn't working. This isn't right. And on our page of history, you will read names like James O'Kelly, Abner Jones, Barton W. Stone, Tom and, Alex, uh, Tom and Alexander Campbell. Those were some of the leaders that came out of some of these groups, church groups, to say, we've got to do something different. And I believe Jesus wants the unity that he prayed for in John chapter 17. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me. And may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's the heart of, of Jesus. He wanted unity among those who were his disciples and believers. And throughout history, somehow we've strayed from that. And these men who started the restoration movement were all about, okay, we're all confused. Let's just get it back to the Bible. So here are four phrases, all right? Four phrases that really describe the restoration movement and are phrases to help us remember the basic tenets of what these guys were trying to emphasize. And if we follow these four tenets, these four phrases, these four beliefs, so to speak, you're going to find unity among people. First of all, the first phrase is, the only creed is Christ. The only creed is Christ. Now see, during this time of uh, uneasiness and, and divisive uh, situations among groups, uh, people had their own different creed. They, they basically produced these statements of faith that were based upon their thinking and their traditions. But really, the only creed is Christ. The only creed is what we believe as to Jesus being the Son of God. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's the only statement that really we need to depend on, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's the rock that everything else stands upon. Now, Walter Scott was another one of these restoration fathers, and he, he called this truth the golden oracle, or the heart, the center, the core of the Christian faith the foundation upon which Jesus would build his church. And so our faith is Christ-centered. It's not people-centered, it's Christ-centered. And, and that's what we believe, that's our statement. When you became a Christian, you made that statement of faith that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the fullness of deity in the flesh, the one who receives first place in our lives. And he's to be uplifted so that all people can be attracted to him. He is the only message that we have to offer people. There is no other message. So the only creed or the only statement of faith is really the statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. There's a second phrase that these guys who kind of came to the top when there was all kinds of uneasiness going on in the church world to create the restoration movement, the other, another phase, phrase was, oh, the only name is Christian. The only name is Christian. All right? And that's all that a disciple of Jesus needs to be named for is Christ. So we wear the best name. We wear the best name. In Acts 11, verse 26, it says, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They weren't called anything else. They were called Christians in Antioch. And, and I think it's interesting what some of the denominational leaders have said. So, for example, John Wesley, and you might be familiar with this person, who 
uh, was one of the great Protestant reformers, the founder of the Methodist Church. Listen to what he said. He said, Would to God that all party names and unscriptural phrases and forms which have divided the Christian world be forgotten. Okay? An important phrase. And then um, there was uh, another who uh, you would be familiar with, and that is Luther. Uh, He said, I pray that you leave my name alone and call not yourselves Lutherans, but Christians. Interesting comment that he made. You know, and he, he goes on to say, well, who is Luther? My doctrine is not my own. I've not been crucified for anyone. So see, he's directing our thoughts back to Jesus, who is the, the one who's the important one, and we're to name ourselves after him. So there is significance in a name. Significance in a name. And, and there's something about the name of Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4.12 that there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So those who are saved belong to Christ. And since he's the one who saved them, we're going to call ourselves Christians or followers of Christ. Okay? Christians. And that's so important as we move forward because that's what we name ourselves. We're we're the Christians that meet at this particular building. And we are a part of Christ's family, and that's what, that's what we call ourselves. Then the third phrase is, the only book is the Bible. The only book is the Bible. Um, when you think about it, and I, I know you've heard this before, but this is o- the only rule for our faith and our practice that we have, and it will show us how to get to heaven, it will show us how to conduct ourselves In the church, it will show us what we need to do as individual Christian people. This is the standard that we need to live our lives the way Jesus wants us to live. And so one of the mottos of the Restoration restoration Movement is where the Bible speaks, we speak. And where the Bible is silent, we're going to be silent. Or we have some opinion to it. So if God says it, we're going to do it, right? And that's, that's important. If the Bible is silent, then we have the option for some opinion as to what's going on and what God is saying. So the only book is the Bible. It's the standard. It's the ruler. for. It's the yardstick to help us measure what it is that we need to do. Now, what if... I was to hand a a yardstick out to four of you. And for each one of you, I would cut off an inch of that yardstick. All right? It wouldn't be a yardstick anymore, right? And then I give you the instruction to build a box with that yardstick. What's going to happen? I've got different size boxes. Because if I gave you a yardstick that's one inch shorter, it's going to be a smaller box. And then if I gave another person uh, a yardstick that's even an inch smaller than that, it's going to be another smaller box. And none of those boxes are going to be the same size. They're not going to, they might 
be uniform. They might be a box, but they're not going to be the same size. They're not going to be the yardstick length that it needs to be. Well, here's what I think has happened in our church world because we have so many churches, different churches. And, and that is uh, we have gone by a different yardstick. Here's the yardstick that's 36 inches long. This is how you build your box. But if I were to take something away from this yardstick, an inch of teaching, or add to the Bible an inch of teaching, am I going to get that 36-inch box? I'm not. And so therefore, I have a different church than what Jesus wanted. Because in the Word of God is, is really a description of the church that Jesus wants. That's his church. Started on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD. And so I want this 36-inch yardstick to build my box. If I were to start a church somewhere, I wouldn't start it based on my opinion or somebody else's tradition or opinion. I'd start it based on, well, what does the Bible say? This is my yardstick that I want to build my box by. So we have to be careful when it comes to how we govern ourselves or what we believe a Christian needs to do, um, how we conduct ourselves, our practices, our future. Everything needs to be in line with that 36-inch yardstick. Otherwise, we've got different boxes and we've got different churches. So the Bible is our rule for our conduct, our church government, our practices, our future. And it's important that we constantly refer back to what the Bible says. So that's why these men in the Restoration Movement kind of came up and said, you know, let's just get back to the Bible. Let's not, let's not be governed by this creed or this creed or this teaching because it's messed us up. Let's just get back to the Bible and what it says. There's a fourth phrase that these individuals just really hung on to because it was going to create unity, and that was the only church is Christ church. Now, I didn't say that the only church is the Etna Green Church of Christ. I said the only church is Christ Church. And that's the one that was started in the first century that we read about in Scripture. That's the only church. All right? That's the only one. And I'm not in favor of being exclusive in any way. But I, I also don't believe that we just need to water down the Word of God so that everyone thinks that all paths lead to heaven. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches either. Okay? I don't think there's this exclusive church that we have here in our day and age. I believe there's an exclusive church that we read about in Scripture. But I don't believe, but I, I don't believe we can go beyond that. We need to stay true uh, to the Word of God and what we're doing. So I believe God gives us a picture of His church in practice in the New Testament as it was given to the apostles. So let me ask you a question. If uh, on the day of Pentecost, or on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached that sermon and 3,000 people were 
uh, repented and were baptized, what denomination or church were they a member of? Well, there, there was only one, right? It was Christ Church. There were no denominations back then. It was Christ Church, and they became members of Christ Church. And it's the, that's the church that belongs to Christ because he paid for it with his own blood. So the same way in which people and believers became a part of Christ Church in the first century is the same way in which we want to create that unity and that membership. Okay? Um, the Restoration Movement seeks to restore the essential marks of the church as it was given to the apostles and is found in the New Testament. And we have failed to be one because we've patterned the church after our own opinions and our own traditions and the intentions that really aren't a part of the Word of God. And it has gotten us into trouble. Um, you know, there's always the question about baptism and what role that plays in a person's salvation. Um, and I get this question a lot. And I did when I was in the located ministry as well, where people were, were questioning and coming from different church backgrounds and wondering what role that baptism or immersion had in a person's salvation in life. Well, in everything we've talked about so far, all right, what we've learned so far, my answer to any of those types of questions should reflect what the Bible says and what the practice was in the first century church when the church started. And so if we go back to the day of Pentecost in 33 AD, how did those 3,000 people become Christians? That's the question. How did they become Christians? Well, if we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which is the history book of the church, it's the, the, the history book of the church, and we go to Acts 2.38, we find that it says that those 3,000 people repented and were immersed for the forgiveness of their sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, being a part of what I would call the restoration movement and knowing what I've just talked about, I don't think we ought to do anything less. That's what the Bible says. That's what the yardstick says when a person comes to Christ. Paul says, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.27, all of you who were baptized into Christ were clothed with Christ. Okay? So that's where I get my answers when it comes to salvation or how we conduct ourselves as a church family in this particular location, in this particular building and site and so on. I want the Word of God to govern what we do. So they were added to Christ's church that day, about 3,000. And we read in the book of Acts, it continues to grow. There were others who were baptized, and they were added to the church that day. So do you have the four phrases? The only creed is Christ. The only name is Christian. The only book is the Bible. And the only church is Christ's church. Well, all of those things, all of those phrases, all of those tenets, you might say, of, of the faith should bring unity because none of them are based upon me. They're based upon God and His Word. All right? 
There was a, a man, his name is Rubel Shelley, and he was an a cappella preacher. That means uh, they, it's a church that doesn't use instruments in their worship. And they are a part of the restoration movement as well, kind of a, a branch of the restoration movement. And uh, he, he makes these suggestions, just, just real quick. He says, if we're going to um, return to the faith and practice of the first century church as described in Scripture, this is really what we need to do. We need to build on our strengths. In other words, we're a people of the book. We're a people of the Bible. If the Bible is so important for us, there's power in God's Word, and it's going to change lives. And people are looking for truth. They're looking for what's right. And so he says, you know, being a part of the restoration movement, being a part of a church family that wants to get back to the, pro the practices of the early church, that's a strength for us, especially when we're sharing the gospel with people because people are looking for truth. They're looking for that strength. The second thing he says is to engage yourself in self-examination. Your church needs to ask, what is your purpose? Why are you here as a church family? Just to come on Sundays and sit here, listen to boring preaching? I'm talking about myself, not Jordan, but, you know, is, is that why we have the Etna Green Church of Christ? No, it isn't. Uh, we, we heard this morning in Scripture that we're ambassadors for Jesus, that we are representatives of His, not in this church building. I don't need you to necessarily tell me that you're a Christian and that you love Christ, but the people outside of this building need to hear that. Uh, they need to see the ambassadors who have the, the message of Jesus, the, that, that you're going to be a representative of His, just like you know, we have ambassadors in foreign countries. Why are they there? Well, they're there representing the ideals and practices and the freedom of the United States of America. And they're representatives. When you leave this, these doors, you become an, an ambassador, a representative of Christ. So, so he says, if we're going to get back and return to the faith and practices of the first century church, we need to examine why we exist. Why are we here? The third thing is we have to learn where we've been ignorant. Uh, none of us have all the right answers. We're constantly investigating what God desires of us. Keep learning. Keep learning the Bible. Um, keep learning about your roots and your heritage because it's a heritage that's rich and very important. The fourth thing he says is to humble yourself before God and your neighbor. Be a servant. Be one who's uh, working hard for Jesus and being an example for him. And then the fifth thing he says is move confidently toward the unity and harmony of the, of the faith encouraged in the New Testament. Take initiative. Take initiative to be a people of unity based around the Word of God. Okay? So I want to encourage you as a church family to get a better grip on your heritage so that you can make a difference in the future. I think as we develop this unity in Christ based around Christ and the Bible. It's a powerful message. And people need to hear it. 
And I go back to the quote that I used by Lewis Foster concerning the restoration movement. He says, to keep a movement alive and well, one must understand the heart of the past, breathe the air of the present, and exercise a vision that anticipates the future. Well, hopefully many of you this morning have learned about the heart of the past and what it was for these men who came out of these uh, denominational situations to say, hey, let's get back to the Bible. Hopefully you've learned the heart of the past and their passion to bring us to where we're at today. But I encourage you to take a deep breath here in the present and kind of rekindle the commitment to the ideals of the restoration plea of being Christians only and not the only Christians. That there's no creed but Christ. And there's no book but the Bible. And there's no name but Christian. And the only church is Christ church. Okay? But the third phrase there is, where do we want to leave it this morning? What about the vision that will exercise the future and anticipate what's in the future? See, what's it going to take to have a church as described in the Scripture? Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. We have the standard. We've got the rule book. We've got the guidebook to do it. But now it's our desire to be sure we're following through with it. Because we have our children, we have our grandchildren, we might have our great-grandchildren. And what type of church do we want them to grow up in? I think we want them to grow up into a church that is based upon what God wants. And the teaching of the essentials that are here. And to proclaim that message to those who are willing to hear. So it's going to be up to all of us going to be up to the leadership of this church to rally together around the banner of the cross and to be the church that God wants this church to be. So let's get a better grip on our heritage. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity just to reflect upon the past and, and what's going on and and how we got here as a, as a church family and the roots and we're proud of our heritage, Father. And I just pray that as we move forward, we might continue that heritage, not to lose sight of it, but to be advocates for it because the world needs it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're preparing to close out, I want to just go back to the, the prayer of Jesus in, in John chapter 17. And he says, uh, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, and may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And here's the key then as we move forward. I in them and you in me. And may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. See, it's unity that's going to make a difference in our world. Let's stand together and sing.